Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Find your way to the Gospel of St. Luke. Our text for the morning is found in chapter 20. And I'll begin reading at verse 27. Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 27. Some Sadducees, those who say that there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had all married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age, the age to come, and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more because they are like angels. And our children of God, being children of the resurrection, and the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, teacher, You have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him another question. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Church, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we know that you have brought us into this place this morning. You have a word for each one of us, and we pray, God, that we will have ears to hear what you're saying this day, and the grace and the courage to receive the word that you have for each one of us. God, I pray that whatever is only from me will be sifted and thrown out, but God, whatever is from you in these moments may we receive. God, we thank you for being here with us. and We thank you for speaking to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Church, I am still basking in the afterglow of last week's All Saints Sunday worship. In so many ways, All Saints Sunday is one of my favorite holy days, holidays 
in the life of the Christian community. And last Sunday was glorious in so many ways. Last Sunday, we, we spent time in worship renewing our communion, our fellowship, with those who have gone before us to the other side. Today, in light of last Sunday, we're continuing to look at this basic Christian belief, and we are doing so by looking at a couple significant questions, questions that are raised by this text here before us this morning. We are looking at the question, is there an afterlife? And then we're also looking at the question, what will be the nature of our relationship to God and to one another in the afterlife? We're using an episode from the ministry of Jesus as a catalyst for us looking at these questions this morning. It's a fascinating episode from the life of Jesus, and a lot of people think that here in this episode from the life of Jesus, we hear some of Jesus' strangest words. And they're words that create a lot of questions in our minds. Let me make sure we we understand the context of the text, we understand what's happening in this text. Here in Luke's Gospel, once again, we see some of the religious leaders coming at Jesus with a question. They really don't want an answer to the question. They are just still yet, once again, trying to trying to bait Jesus, trying to get Jesus to say something that they can use to discredit Jesus. When I see these texts scattered throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke of these religious leaders chasing Jesus all over the region trying to bait and discredit Jesus, I'm reminded of of a video game to which I was almost addicted when I was a college student. And this is going to date me just a little bit. But while I was in college, the game Pac-Man came out. Do you remember that game? It was one of the early video games. And it's all about the fact that you go around on the board eating these dots away. But while you're going around on the board eating these dots away, there are these little ghosts that's trying to come at you and destroy you, destroy you. They're, they're nipping at your heels as you make your way around the board. That reminds me of what I see in the Gospels when I see Jesus going throughout the region and there were always Sadducees, sometimes Pharisees, chasing him, nipping at his heels, trying to destroy him as a teacher. Here we see it again, the Sadducees coming to Jesus trying to get him to say something that would discredit him in light in front of the people. The Sadducees, we need to understand something about the Sadducees. You learn something about the Sadducees here. The Sadducees was one group of religious leaders in first century Judaism. They were based around the temple. They were based in temple worship. And because they were based around the temple in Jerusalem, they tended to be very wealthy. They tended to be in cahoots with the Roman overlords. They were very conservative in the ways that they approached the Jewish faith of the first century. They received only the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. 
the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. They refused to reverence or respect in the other books that the Pharisees and Jesus used in their faith. And because they were so based in the first five books of Moses, they frequently appear as radical materialists. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in an afterlife because you don't see any of those things really discussed very much in the first five books of Moses. That's why the text here, just to make sure you as Gentiles understand this, are told in the text that they did not believe in the resurrection. Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead at the end of history. And to help you remember that, and this is the way we learned it in seminary, to help you remember that, you can remember that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, therefore they were sad, you see. (laughs) You're a little slow this morning. That'll help you remember the difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee. So here were the Sadducees coming at Jesus, and they're using their unbelief concerning the resurrection of the dead as a way to trap Jesus, and they bring an absurd hypothetical situation to Jesus. And you have to understand something, again, as background. Leverant marriage was something that is um, taught and displayed in the Hebrew Bible. Levere comes from the Latin word for brother-in-law, and leverant marriage simply taught this. And you see it being commanded in the book of Deuteronomy. You see it being illustrated in Genesis. It's also illustrated, by the way, in the book of Ruth. It taught this, that when a woman died, if she were childless, or when the husband died, if he were childless, the brother of the husband took the widow and tried to help that widow have a child. Because again, the Sadducees were basically materialists, and they really thought that the only way you lived on, the only way that you could survive, and we're talking men here, was through your children. So if a male died childless, the brother of that male took the wife of the male who died and tried to produce an offspring, an heir. And by producing an offspring or an heir, the line would live on, that male somehow would live on. So if a man died, the brother of that man was to take the widow, Well, here in this story, and there's some humor in this story that Jesus is offering you. I hope you picked up on it. Here in this story, there was a man and a woman, and the man died before he had a child. So so the brother took the woman. That brother died, so another brother took the woman. That brother died, so another brother took the woman. There's something rather deadly about this wife. So in this absurd hypothetical story, all seven brothers die. So they ask Jesus, Jesus, we don't believe in the resurrection. You believe in the resurrection. So whose wife will this woman be in the resurrection? She's been married to all seven brothers. Well, Jesus really didn't answer that question, but Jesus taught the resurrection using 
one of the books from the Torah, one of the books from the Pentateuch. He used the book of Exodus to teach the resurrection. And the way he taught the resurrection, affirmed the resurrection in, in front of these Sadducees was to take their mind back to Moses, who they so reverence, to take their mind back to the book of Exodus and remind them of the story that we find in Exodus chapter 3 of Moses before the burning bush. And Moses before the burning bush finds Moses saying of this God that he encountered there that this God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses didn't say that this God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but this God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you need to remember that Moses was saying this decades and decades, decades after after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died. Well, even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, Moses is affirming that God is still their God. God is still their Lord at this point in history, even though they had passed away many, many years before. And that's why Jesus then says, so evidently Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still in the presence of God today, many years after their death. Abraham is still Abraham, Isaac is still Isaac, Jacob is still Jacob, because, as Jesus says, God is the God of the living and not the dead. And as children of God, we are children of the resurrection. Because of who God is, our relationship with God is not only for the length of our journey here on this earth, but our relationship with God is for all eternity. God is is in the present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not just their God back in history when they sojourned here upon this earth. So at that point, Jesus is affirming the resurrection, resurrection life, the afterlife, the age to come. He's using Moses to do it. And that's why the text concludes with the words that some of those Sadducees acknowledged Jesus as teacher, but they did not dare ask him any more questions. I bet they didn't. This was the last question you hear them asking Jesus trying to trap Jesus here in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus affirms the resurrection, the life of the age to come, the life of the world to come, and declares that we who are in relationship with God, we are children of God and children of resurrection. So what are our takeaways from this text this morning? I will offer you two takeaways from this text. First one being this. When we think about the age to come, when we think about the era to come, when we think about our afterlife, the life after this life, when we think about the age of resurrection and what God has in store for us in the future, we should be, we should be aware of just using the categories of this age to describe the age to come. In some ways, the age to come is so remarkable and so amazing that our categories that we use here in this life are supremely insufficient to talk about the age to come. I know sometimes when we talk about the age to come, the afterlife, the world that God has planned for us, we, we, 
use images from this life, and we tend to think of the heavenly life, the eternal life, being like this life on steroids. This life, this life magnified. And we need to remember, and Jesus is getting at it here in this text, that the life that awaits us is so grand and glorious. The categories in this life and the language of this life fail to even be able to describe it. And we see that throughout the Scriptures. The Scriptures in the New Testament teaches us a lot about the world to come. You know, it talks about the heavenly kingdom being streed with gold, being paved with streets of gold, but that they're as clear as crystal. Now, I don't know how golden streets could be clear as crystal, but again, that just blows all the categories I have out of the water. It teaches me that the life to come is far greater, far grander than this life. We, we know a lot about the life to come. As Christians, we believe in a God who is in a personal relationship with us. As Christians, we believe in a God who has spoken. We believe in a God who has revealed himself to us, and we have that revelation supremely in Jesus Christ, the living word, but we also have that revelation in the Bible, the written word. So God, the God who speaks, has revealed to us much about the life to come. That's why we know more than we think we know about the life to come. I know that we don't know everything about the life to come. In some ways, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we are looking now through a mirror dimly. So we don't know everything, but we know enough about the life to come because it's revealed to us throughout the scriptures. Heaven, the word heaven, whether it's used of atmosphere around us or atmosphere beyond us or the eternal kingdom is a word that's used 500 times at least in scripture. So yeah, we, I assume most of us in this room, we've not traveled there and returned to give firsthand evidence of what the life to come and the world to come is like, but we don't need that because we have God's revelation telling us what we need to know. Not everything, but what we need to know, enough to know about the life to come. So Jesus is saying here that beware of using the categories of this age. Don't let the limitations of this life determine your thought about the life to come. And he does touch on marriage at this point. And most of us, at least those of us who are really very fond of our wives or our husbands, we want the relationship to continue on the other side. And Jesus is not saying here that it does not continue on the other side. Jesus is saying that marriage will not be a big deal on the other side, and that makes, that makes a lot of sense to us for a couple reasons, because of what else we know about the teaching of the Bible about the life to come. It makes a lot of sense to us for a couple of reasons, such as we don't need marriage on the other side because Jesus, like a good first century Jew, was convinced that the primary purpose for marriage is to have children, to procreate offspring. As a good first century Jew, Jesus knew that the very first commandment 
that's recorded in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, is to be fruitful and multiply, to have children. That's the prevailing primary purpose for marriage. There are other reasons for marriage. That's the primary prevailing purpose for marriage in the Scriptures. And surely you understand we don't need to populate heaven by having offspring there. So at that level, that basic level, we don't need marriage or procreation in heaven. But there's another reason, uh, maybe a deeper theological reason, why we don't need marriage in heaven. We don't need to marry or be giving in marriage, as Jesus says here in heaven. And it's this, when we get to heaven, when we enter that heavenly eternal realm, the age to come, we will be perfected at that point. We will be perfected in our human natures. We will we'll be free of any taint or cloud of sin at that point. We'll be perfected in our human nature. As a matter of fact, our relationships with one another will be perfected there. We will perfectly love each other there. Now let me let you in on something. I don't think this will rock your world. If it does rock your world, I apologize. But it's this. I love my wife, Tammy, more than I love the rest of you. There, I'm, there may even be the reality that I serve my wife, Tammy, more than I serve the rest of you. But that's only true in this age. When we pass through the veil and get to the other age, I will perfectly love my wife, Tammy, on the other side. I'm trying here, but I will there. Perfectly love my wife, Tammy, on the other side. But guess what? I will perfectly love you also on the other side. Here in this world, to me, Tammy's in a category all by herself compared to the rest of you. But when we pass to the other side, our love for one another will be perfect. We don't need to procreate there, and there will not be anybody else on the other side that I love more than I love someone else. Because on the other side, we become who we were created to be. On the other side, we are perfected in our nature. We are perfected even in our relationships. So I will not love my wife less on the other side. I will love you more on the other side. That's why we don't need to use the category of marriage there so we need to be careful about using the categories that are important to us here for the other side. The second major takeaway from this text for me is this, and this is so, so expressed throughout all of Scripture. We will know each other. We will know each other on the other side. Abraham is still Abraham. Isaac is still Isaac. Jacob is still Jacob. Jesus will still be Jesus. You will still be you and I will still be me on the other side. Because God has so graced us, we in many ways are the epitome of God's creation. So who we are, our personalities will not be erased, but perfected on the other side. Throughout the scriptures in many different ways, we are taught there is an afterlife and we will know each other in the afterlife. That's what Jesus is doing here with the Sadducees. God is the God of Abraham. God is the God of Isaac. God is the God of Jacob centuries after they pass from this world. Because in the other world, 
When we're children of God, we're children of God for eternity, and we're children of resurrection life, and we live for eternity on the other side, and we will still be who we are, though perfected on the other side. I think that the scriptures throughout, in many and varied ways, teach us this. We will know one another on the other side. That is for those of us who are in Christ. Those of us who have made Jesus Christ central to our lives, then life on this globe will be a life with Jesus Christ central to who we are. And if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, that also means that in eternity our lives will be centered on Jesus Christ. Now, I cannot talk definitively about people who are outside of Christ. But I know that people who are in Christ will be in Christ for eternity. I know that for a lot of people, when I see what the New Testament declares heaven to be, life lived eternally in the presence of Christ, life lived lost in wonder, love, and praise in worship of Jesus Christ, I can't help but to believe that for a lot of people who have lived on planet Earth, they don't want anything to do with that. And God will probably grant them that wish. But for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are allowing Jesus to be Lord of our lives, in this world will continue to be Lord of our lives in the world to come. So those of us who are in Christ will be in Christ for eternity. That's why we could spend last week renewing our communion, our fellowship that we have in Christ. It is eternal communion and fellowship to those who are in Christ. To those who are centering their lives upon God, they are children of God, they are children of the resurrection, and in the next world they will be like angels. That's what Jesus says in this text, like angels. Please, this is an aside, and I offer it to you at no additional cost. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in Christian tradition, does it ever say or teach or imply that we become angels when we die. That is the gospel according to It's a Wonderful Life (laughs) in Hollywood. That we die, we become angels, then we work to get our wings. But what we know from the scriptures is that if we become angels on the other side, that's a demotion for us. The New Testament is very clear, such as the book of Hebrews, that angels are ministering spirits for us. Angels serve us. Angels serve us here in this world, and in a more glorious way, angels will serve us in heaven. So we become like the angels, what Jesus says in this text. We become like the angels in that we enter a purely spiritual experience at death. We become like the angels, but we don't become angels. And I'm so grateful for that. We are above the angels, according to biblical cosmology. They serve us. So help people understand that. Sometimes people think you die and you go work as an angel. I'll be so disappointed if I get that demotion in the next life. They are there to serve us. That's what the Bible teaches throughout. They are there to serve and lead the worship of God, and one day we'll be participating in that worship of God as they lead and serve us for all eternity. But those who are in Christ will eternally be in Christ. 
Thank you for being here today. This is such important, such an important time in so many ways because we come into this place to worship the living God, but we also come into this place and we deal with important issues. And I realize that much of our life, if we aren't really careful, much of our life is given to obsessing with petty, trivial issues. This is important. I hope that you're centering your life on Jesus Christ. I hope that following Christ, knowing Christ and following Christ is the prevailing passion in your life. Because if it is, you will be His for eternity and He will be yours. Amen.